Welcome to Not Your Daughter's Witchcraft, a podcast hosted by me, Lilith Amberly. If you're exploring witchcraft for something beyond the aesthetic, if some social media platforms make you cringe and say, that's not me, if you're looking to build a practice that enhances your life, then you, my friend, are in the right place. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. Hey there, my friend. Welcome to episode two of Not Your Daughter's Witchcraft. Today, I'm here to talk to you about the elements. And before anybody freaks out, I'm not talking about the elements that we learned in high school chemistry class. I'm talking about earth, air, fire, water, and spirit. And I'm talking to you about these today because they are such a foundational piece to my practice. I think whether you are brand new or you've been walking this path for a while, you'll pick up something new today. When I'm learning, I like to learn about things over and over and over again. I think it's important as we build our practice that we don't consider something learned the very first time that we hear about it or the very first time that we read about it. I think what you'll find is as you listen to different teachers and read different books, you pick up something new and something different each time. When I teach, I find that it's very important to give some historical perspective to the practices whenever possible. So that's what we're going to start talking about today. We're going to talk a little bit about the history of the elements, um, and that's in philosophy, medicine, magical practices. We're also going to talk about what the elements represent and their relationship to our magic today. Before we get started, I just want to say that You know, there are a lot of cultures around the world that incorporate the elements into their philosophies, medicine, spirituality, etc. But you need to know that they're not all exactly the same. So if someone is um, speaking about Taoism or Chinese medicine, you're going to find that the elements are slightly different there. You're going to have earth, fire, water, metal, and wood. If you're talking um, about Buddhism, the fifth element, spirit, is going to be replaced by space. For the purposes of this episode, I'm speaking from a Western perspective. Again, earth, air, fire, water, spirit. So the elements and this concept of four elements is not new. It's been around a long time. I mean, we're talking thousands of years here. And in their origin, the elements were viewed from a philosophical context or standpoint. Many historians attribute the first notion of the four elements to the Greek philosopher Empedocles. Now, hopefully I am saying his name correctly. Empedocles was born around 494 BCE, and he believed that all matter could be distilled into those four elements, and that those four elements were finite, and they were eternal. And what he meant by that is that the elements couldn't be destroyed, and we could not add to them. Basically, the matter that's here in the universe is the matter that's here, no more, no less. He believed that the only changes were in how those elements mixed together and were separated from each other. He believed that love and strife were responsible for how those elements came together and moved apart from one another. Love bringing them together, being attracted, and strife pushing them apart. Now, the only reference that we really have to this is from two of his writings. He wrote two poems that survived time. One was titled On Nature, and the other one was titled On Purification. What I'm finding is there's some dispute as to whether these were actually two different pieces of writing or parts of the same writing. Um, It really doesn't matter from my perspective. Uh, What we know is that in the lines of those poems, Empedocles described his philosophy. Now, the fifth element that I mentioned 
you know, that I'm referring to a spirit, many believe was first introduced by Plato. So about 150 or so years later and noted by his student Aristotle. He asserted that heavenly bodies consisted of a fifth element that was different than the earthly elements. So this was most often referred to as ether or quintessence, quint meaning fifth and essence meaning the purest form of something. Now over time, those elements became the basis for very early medicine as well. They were described by Hippocrates as associated with the different humors in the body. They became part of Western astrology and the development of magical practices, including the various types of Kabbalah. So much of what modern Western magical practitioners believe and practice comes from this path throughout history. So my point is that the basis of elemental magic is not new. So how do these elements, how do they really tie into magic? Well, there's two ways, and we're going to start with the first one. Um, this is because each element has specific properties and specific correspondences, meaning that certain things symbolize them. So if you have a basic understanding of their properties and you have a basic understanding of their correspondences, you can then use that to craft your spell work and to better understand certain divination systems like tarot. So let's start with Earth. When we think about Earth, we think about the actual planet. We think about the dirt and the soil and the rock and things that are solid. Earth represents stability and security. The Earth's energy is a compressing energy. So think about its gravitational pull. This is what keeps you grounded. It's pulling everything toward it. It has a binding property to it. It's also still and quiet and considered cold and dry. It's related to our finances. Now, why do you think it might be related to our finances? You'll remember that originally material wealth came from the earth. It came in precious stones and gems. So that's why it's related to our finances. A person with earthy energy is typically a practical person. They're the person that you describe as grounded. They can be very organized and very methodical when making decisions. Earth is, earth is closely related to our body. Our body is our physical form. It's also associated with fertility. It provides for us. Think of all of the resources that the earth provides for our existence every day. In Tarot, earth is represented by the symbol of the pentacle. So if we know that the pentacle represents earth, then we can come to some sort of conclusion as what the pentacle might represent in Tarot. So the suit of pentacles is associated with finances and resources. See the connection? The color most often associated with earth is the color green. This is especially true if you're looking at past magical practices and orders. So the hermetic order of the golden dawn used an arrangement of colors in their work as correspondences, and in this case, correspondences to the elements. Earth was represented by the color green. Now this is important, particularly if you are trying to read and understand Tarot and you're using the Rider-Waite-Smith deck. The colors in those cards are believed to come from the Order of the Golden Dawn, or have been influenced by it, I should say. Um, so if you know that green stands for Earth, and you know what Earth represents, it helps you to interpret the meaning of the cards that have that color in them. In astrology, Earth is associated with the signs of Capricorn, Taurus, and Virgo. Earth corresponds with the direction north. It corresponds with midnight, that darkest point, the quietest point in the day. What season do you think it might correspond to? 
If you guessed winter, you'd be correct. Okay, now let's move on and talk about air for a few minutes. So air is all about movement. It's about distribution. It moves things. It's closely associated with communication. If in order to have communication, we have to move information back and forth from one person, say, to another. It's closely associated with our thoughts, our ideas, and creativity. Air radiates its energy. It's very opening. It's expansive. It connects things. But it connects things differently than the Earth does. Remember, Earth had that binding energy, that pulling toward it. In this case, in the case of air, it's connecting things uh, kind of like a, like a dotted line to one another. So it's, it's different, different than Earth. Air is considered to be warm and moist, and it responds to its surroundings. People with an airy personality might be people that you think of as innovators. They're the thinkers, the influencers. They're talkers, and sometimes they could be a bit um, maybe pie-in-the-sky type people. Some astrological signs associated with air are Aquarius. That's right, Aquarius. So if you thought Aquarius was a water sign, it isn't. But believe me, it took me forever to get that through my head. Aquarius is air. Also Libra and Gemini. It's associated with the suit of swords in Tarot and the color yellow. So if you know that the suit of swords represents air, and you know that air is all about our thoughts and our intellect and communication, you can begin to understand the suit of swords and the cards that have swords in them. You also understand that when yellow shows up in a card, that it also may mean communication, thoughts, and things like that. Next, we have fire. Fire has an energy to it that's ascending. Gravity does not pull it down. When fire burns, think about it like the energy rises up. It's subtle, yet we know that it can be very powerful and can be very volatile. Fire is associated with our passions and our desires. It's associated with our will. It's transforming. It challenges us. It's considered warm and dry, and it radiates energy. People with a lot of fire in their personality might be described as driven or tenacious. They have resolve. These are the people that once they set their mind to something, they're going to do whatever it takes to get the job done, and they generally don't take no for an answer. Fire corresponds to the direction of south. It corresponds to the time frame of noon each day. As a season, it corresponds to summer. In tarot, it corresponds with wands and the color red. And then the fourth element we have is water. Water, as we know, you know, is a fluid. It takes the shape of its container and it's closely associated with transformation. It carries our emotions and it carries our memories. Remember the scenes in Harry Potter when Harry was in Dumbledore's office and Dumbledore was sharing his memories with him and Harry had a look into the water? This is where that came from. Water's energy is considered descending. It takes the path of least resistance and it's attracted to itself. Water is associated with the mystical realms and hidden properties. It's associated with trust. People with a lot of water energy um, tend to be empathic. They can be emotional, and they have often have high levels of intuitiveness. They can also appear as risk takers because they're one, they're very trusting, and it's not that they're taking risks um, just for the sake of taking risks or that they're being foolish. They're taking risks because they have this way of knowing that things are going to work out. The signs associated with water are Pisces, Scorpio, and Cancer. Water corresponds with the direction of west. It's associated with the color blue. 
When we think of water, we think of water during um, evening or dusk. It's symbolized by the season of autumn. In tarot, it's symbolized by the suit of cups. Then finally, we have that fifth element, the element of spirit. Uh, this one, not so easy to define. Um, the ancient philosophers believed that this is what makes up the heavens, and today it's what we often think of, of that life force that was, is within all things. So I want to take this conversation just a step further and talk about how the elements not only play into crafting a spell, like we talked about, well, you know, what they represent and their correspondences, but also how they are thought to create the actual power of the witcher magician. So this concept was first popularized by Elifa Lévy. Lévy was a French poet, author, and esotericist who was born in 1810. He started his life pursuing the path of the Catholic priesthood, but left before becoming ordained. I'm not completely sure why, but I'm pretty sure I read that a woman might have had something to do with that. But anyhow, um, around the age of 40, he became a practicing occultist and ceremonial magician. He was a student of Kabbalah and a contemporary of Arthur Edward Waite. So Arthur Edward Waite was the author of the Rider-Waite-Smith tarot deck which was heavily influenced by Lévy's writings. Additionally, Lévy had a heavy influence on the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn and people like the occultists Alistair Crawley and Madame Blavatsky. So Lévy attributed four what he called indispensable conditions to maintain knowledge and the power of the Magi. Those were an intelligence illuminated by study, an intrepidity which nothing can check, a will which cannot be broken, and a prudence which nothing can corrupt. These four powers, the power to know, the power to dare, the power to will, and the power to keep silent, would become known as the basis of the witch's pyramid. Now that term, the witch's pyramid, became popular in about the mid-20th century, so around like the 1960s or so. And each of the elements were intimately linked to each side of that pyramid. So if we think about the representations and the correspondences, we can link the elements to those four conditions, with air being to know, remember air is about our thoughts and our knowledge, water to dare, fire to will, and earth to keep silent. So if a witch could harness those four powers and bring them together, the top of the pyramid is formed and her spells can be brought to fruition. The top of the pyramid, or the fifth power, was coined the power to go by Alistair Crawley. Now, I won't get into the different opinions of good old Uncle Alistair, um, but that might make for a really interesting future episode. But I think knowing some of the history of where magical theory and practice comes from is important. Not because it's going to make our magic better, but because it helps inform the decisions that we make as practitioners. So this, my friend, is just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to understanding the elements. And I know that it's a lot to remember, so I created a cheat sheet for you to print out, save on your computer or whatever you want, and you can use it as a quick reference with your work. So if you go to lilithamberly.com, that's L-I-L-I-T-H-A-M-B-E-R-L-Y.com, and sign up for my VIP list. When you do that, you're going to get the element cheat sheet and all of my free resources, including guided meditations, ritual guides, and more. So I want to wrap up today's episode by talking about the Magician for just a minute. So the Magician is card one in the Rider-Waite-Smith tarot deck. And if you take a look at that card, you'll see um, what appears to be a young man standing there. He has one arm raised, one lowered, and in front of him 
on a small wooden table are four items, a cup, a pentacle, a sword, and a wand. So in order for the magician to be able to manifest his desires or whatever he's trying to bring to fruition, he's combining the four elements represented by those four symbols, um, so earth, air, fire, water, and he's also bringing the element of spirit in by drawing on the powers from above and the powers from below. With that, I'll conclude the episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please follow Not Your Daughter's Witchcraft. And don't forget, go to LilithAmberly.com to get your free resource guide. So it's that quick cheat sheet. And you'll also get access to all of my free materials, guided meditations, ritual guides, etc. Have a most wonderful and magical day.